Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see all of you. To all of our new and returning visitors, we're glad to have you amongst us today. And what a blessed privilege it is to have you with us. And we're so glad that you are here with us. On today, we're beginning a new series, and we're going to be considering um, Colossians. Uh, Colossians. And so, if you would, please turn with me to Colossians 1 and your copy of God's Word. I want to begin with an introduction. I'd like to begin our time together with a question. And the question is, do people take you seriously? In other words, is your faith compelling? Is your faith attractive? Is Jesus Christ the bedrock of your life? Would you say that your faith has been increasing or are you close to what you were doing two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago? Now, you know what's interesting is that if one of our family members were having a problem with how they were maturing, uh, we'd be concerned, wouldn't we? We'll be seriously concerned. And so what I'm trying to say is that we ought to be concerned about our spiritual growth as well. Because if this were to happen to one of us or one of our family members, we would see the doctor as soon as possible to try to understand what's going on and what's the problem. In fact, we would cling to the doctor's every word in order to get the help that we need. Why is that? As Christians, we see the value in getting physical needs met, but fail to see the necessity of our spiritual needs. The answer is we may be missing three virtues every Christian must have. Faith, love, and hope. Sometimes various trials we face that are personal, family-oriented, financial, church-related, and so forth can stunt our growth in our Christian lives. Other ways we hindered from growing come by way of being tired physically, emotionally, spiritually drained. And lastly, we are hindered from growing through various temptations, such as having a desire to be wealthy and famous. For others, it could be personal pleasures or wanting acceptance from the world and so on. But the truth is only what we do for Christ will last. To help us realize this truth more Let's consider what Paul says to the Christian 
Christian church at Colossae. And keep in mind that Paul is in prison writing this letter to a Christian community he never met. But he did hear the good reports. He did hear about how well they were doing. And he considered them a commendable church. Follow along with me as I read the text for our hearing. Colossians 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you've learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We know that your word helps us. Your word guides us. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And we pray, Lord, that your word will go forth with power, convicting our souls, helping us to change and to repent and begin doing those things that we might obey and become your commendable people, a people you can be pleased with. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to concentrate, remove the distractions and help us to focus on you and you alone. We pray even for the little children they might be able to grasp your truths. We pray that you would bring your truth down so that all can understand and know and come to the knowledge of your truth. We also pray for the one who do not know you today. We pray that salvation would come to them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. If, if you're taking notes, I've entitled the message, Do You Have These Virtues? The essential message of the text that we're going to be considering is the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit produces in us faith, 
love, and hope. So the three questions we will try to answer is, do you regularly show faith in Christ? First question. Second question is, do you express love for all of God's people? And thirdly, do you have and believe in a future hope that has been settled in heaven? Paul wrote to the Colossian church to combat false teaching and heresy. It was as if Judaism and paganism were pretending to be Christianity. That included denying the Lord Jesus Christ and practicing a lifestyle from a distorted viewpoint of the Christian lifestyle. It is from this perspective that Paul commends this church in light of being around all of that. And at the time, this church was faced with the surrounding areas that deified emperors. It was during a time when emperor worship was prevalent. Along with that, the non-believing world also worshipped the Greek gods and Gnosticism was emerging. However, despite all that was going on, the gospel was still spreading. In the opening of this letter, Paul, as usual, begins this letter by identifying himself as the sender. In addition, he also wants it to be known that he has the apostolic authority to write this church as an apostle. And his apostleship was ultimately done, he says, by the will of God. Let it also be known that Paul was not the founder of this Christian church, and he never paid them a visit. Timothy, Paul's protege, was also with him during the forming of this letter. After acknowledging Timothy, Paul then addressed the brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae with his signature greeting. And so now let us look at Paul commending the Colossian church, beginning at verse 3. According to verse 3 of our text, Paul regularly prayed for the brothers and sisters there. Isn't it amazing how Paul had such a, um, such a fervent prayer life for these brothers and sisters whom he'd never seen? Even though he never visited the Colossian church, he was dedicated to praying for her. This must have been very encouraging to hear this for, from the church in knowing that Paul had prayed for them. Then in verses 4 and 5, there are three distinct ways in which Paul commended this church after having received the gospel. First, we see that they were faithful in Christ. According to verses 4 and 5, we see why Paul offered thanks for the Colossian church. He did so because this church was showing themselves to be faithful, loving people of God and having a future hope. Do you regularly 
show faith in Christ. Faith is one of the fundamental virtues when it comes to knowing Jesus as Lord and as Savior. By faith, we mean trust. But in order to have this virtue, one must first place Christ first. This is, the, this is foundational because to have this any other way will only lead to weak and wavering faith. Christ has be the foundation to all we do. And so you might even say without this we're exercising little faith. And we know how the Lord feels about little faith. Jesus even rebukes his disciples for having little faith. Faith that is genuine is always at work. Christians have an active faith that lives. It seems organic for Paul to acknowledge the love that the Colossians Christians demonstrated for all of the people of God. Now, what this means is that they were intentional about the relationships they had with one another. They were not passive about what they understood as loving the saints. Those who came in contact with the Colossian church were able to sense this church's love. They knew it. True Christians may struggle with sin from time to time but they do not abandon their commitment to the Lord by disowning him to become wrapped up in this world's enticements in order to continue sin. The Holy Spirit warns us of such behavior in Hebrews chapter 3. And there in verse 12 it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a warning. Even though we cannot lose our salvation, we must be aware of the dangers of an unbelieving heart that, that come when we are entangled with the world. Notice it said leading you to fall away. Not an actual falling away, but a, a move in that direction. A true Christian cannot lose their salvation because it's settled in heaven. Jesus is our Redeemer, and it is finished. The Scripture teaches us over and over again what the proper response should be when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The proper response to salvation and a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ leads to a committed, unwavering devotion to God. Listen to these verses that remind us of these truths. In Philippians 3.14, Paul recognize this commitment 
in his own life when he stated, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the Lord himself also warns us of this in Luke 9, 62, that coming to Christ is not without a cost. There he states, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We've been called by God to be faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? It means that we are to be faithful without keeping score and showing everyone what we've done. How many hours we've prayed? Or how many hours we've spent in God's word? Or, how, or what kind of books we've read? God is not concerned about that. He is more in- interested in our motivations. In other words, what are the underlying reasons behind what we are doing? This requires self-examination on the basis of Scripture, not ourselves. Why is it this so important? It's important because it keeps us from becoming prideful, deceived, selfish, covetous, greedy to name a few. We're called to be faithful, and this requires us to die to the old nature and the old self. I'm reminded of an illustration I read that says we are the carriers of the faith. It states through the ages, Christians have looked upon the church as the company of the committed, the visible followers of Christ, members of his body in a broken world, pilgrims in route to Jerusalem, the vast majority of believers consider the church to be God's conduit, the carrier of faith from one generation to the next. Quote. Don't you want to be that church that carries the gospel from one generation to the next? Carriers of the faith. Want to be a committed church, a church that trusts in God, a church that is unwavering no matter what's going on in the culture, a church who stands still, who is unmovable, a church that is on our way to Jerusalem. We are the carriers of the faith. Therefore, we must take our position like a soldier in battle. Take our position, hold your position in obedience to God in prayer and patient endurance, waiting for the matter to come. According to 1 Corinthians 15:58, we must be steadfast. Immovable, always 
abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Moving on to our next point, which is they express their love for all the saints. The reason why these Christians love one another is one, because God commands it, and two, it identifies them as members of Christ. So, do you express love for all of God's people? This doesn't allow any wiggle room for us to love who we want to love. It's not the kind of love that is based on appearance or what we see in the other person, but it's a love that is founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, and our identity is in how we love. The Lord has taken the initiative in loving us, right? Sinners who were dead in trespasses, but Christ loved us. He demonstrated that love by going to a cross. God took the initiative. And if we are followers, if we are disciples of Christ, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. In 1 John 3.16, it states, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If we are in union with Christ, how can we be unsympathetic to those whom God has redeemed by the shedding of his blood and through his death on the cross? How can we be cruel to those who have been chosen by God to be his people? In other words, it matters how we treat the poor. It matters how we treat those who are hard to get along with, to behave in this way is contrary to the character of God. If God sets his love upon those who were at one time unlovely, who are we to mistreat those whom he loves? This is a reminder to us to act in ways that represent Christ. If God acts in love towards his children, how much more should the children of God love one another? As children of God, we must learn to love in the way God loves. And God's love is sacrificial. In other words, it might cost us something. We might have to give up something in order that we love someone else. God's love is sacrificial. He taught us this. So we must set our love upon those whom God has set his love upon. This is a command. We must begin practicing love in obedience to him because nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. You remember what Paul said in Romans 8, and he was sure of this. He was sure of this. 
There he states in Romans 8, 38 and 29, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. All creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. We are commanded to love Another, And I'm not saying, church, that we're not loving one another. It's to encourage us to continue in the love that we have for one another. And we're to make sure that we don't let anything hinder us from this love. We must be disciplined with our love because we're sinful. And sometimes can come up and we know that sin sometimes is messy. Right? So we got to be looking for those kinds of things to make sure that we don't allow the enemy and sin to just mess everything up. God has a plan, has us on the right path. And so we love one another, how? By praying for each other. We love one another by maintaining fellowship. Also, we experience love by the way we care for one another and show hospitality. For example, some of the ladies express love by making meals to help the sick or to help those who have health issues. The men do this by helping one another during opportune times such as work days, right? Set up the sound equipment or putting up signs outside. And many of you have met the material needs of those in the church who had needs. Right? This is what love looks like. And we're doing those things. And I just want to commend you to continue. Continue loving one another. For we have been bonded together. Through a love that is not natural, but a love that is supernatural. A love that is eternal, that is everlasting, and that will never fade away. And so this is the encouragement that we have, not only for for the Colossian church, but it's for us as well. Love is seen even in the text messages sent out between you guys, right? All of the little hearts and happy birthdays, right? You know, I mean, y'all blowing up my phone, you know. I get about a thousand messages, you know. But I appreciate it. It's good to see brothers and sisters in Christ who are intentional about how they treat one another. They're just loving one another in an organic way, just naturally, Right? In the best way that we can. And and that's what we want to continue. These are just some of the examples of how GBC have attempted to love those who make up the body of Christ. And this this is wonderful. This is something we can get excited about. This is something that we can do weekly on a regular basis. We we don't even have to have a reason. We could just say, look, I'm going to love you and ain't nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
that that's what Christ did for us. He initiated a love without asking us. He was kind to us without asking us. And so, listen, love can be demonstrated even in a greeting. I don't want anything. I just wanted to say hi. I want to see how you're doing. How's your day going? Right? It can come in the form of a text or if you want to hear somebody's voice. That's a form of, of care and loving and being interested in those who are in the body of Christ. So continue it, church. We don't have to force it. Right? To just be a loving and express that love by being willing to sacrifice for the sake of those whom Christ has died to make them his own. When we love Christ, we won't be the same. We will love in the way he loved. Often in Scripture, we've seen how Paul loved the church. Our dear brother loved the bride of Christ. He understood what she was and who she was to Christ. She, he understood what she meant to Christ. We can sense Paul's emotions through the pages of Scripture when he states in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5-8. He says, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. See how that relationship just grew as the people of God just spent time with one another? The gospel does that. And the last virtue, Paul commends this church uh, because they, they had placed their confidence in that future hope that is in heaven. Here we see Paul is presupposing that the basis of our faith and love is found we have in Christ. Christians are looking forward to the, the fullness of that whole blessed state in which they will never lose. Hope is not the activity of hope for something. Rather, hope is the active possessing of that which is coming. In other words, the mother who is is not saying, I hope I have a baby. No, no. That, that mother has a high expectation for that child. And every now and then, she get a kick in her ribs to let her know that the baby will be here soon. How, how about you? Are you expectant? Are you anticipating what God will be? And we're not talking about a faith that is misguided. 
are misdirected based on a hope apart from the Scriptures. We're not asking anybody to go outside of the Scriptures. We're not asking anybody to jump off and hope you'll land on something else. Right? No, that, that, that's stupid. Right? So, do you have and believe in the future hope reserved for us in heaven? That means that nobody can take it. Nobody can disturb it. Nobody can mess with it. God has it, and it's ours. It's just a matter of time. That's the confidence we have. No one can disturb our position in Christ. Why won't we live like that? Why won't we live as if we already have it? Sometimes we get caught up in trying to earn our position without realizing that we already have this is our theology something that we don't want to overlook. Christians are unique. They are unique in the sense of really hoping, but rather in a more tangible way by having Hope in heaven with God. C.S. Lewis defined hope as a continual looking forward to an eternal world. What are we gazing at? What are we looking at? What are we concentrating on? Genuine hope does not lose sight of the goal at hand. Hope is settled with God. It does not lead to discouragement. It leads to encouragement. It doesn't lead to despair or feelings of abandonment. Instead, hope from God in heaven gives us confidence and reassurance in this life so that we might live now for God with the reality of eternal life in mind that not even death itself can move our confidence. According to 1 Timothy 4 and 10, hope works. Paul states, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. In other words, hope works in us faith and love. Christians must recapture faith through discovery in the word. William Barclay said, and I quote, men need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith in a worried world. The Christian should be the only man who remains serene. In a depressed world, the Christian should be the only man who remains full of the joy of life, unquote. In, in other words, we engage the culture, the culture with faith, with love, and with hope. John Bunyan said, hope is never ill when faith is well. 
interesting, isn't it? When we have faith, we don't have to worry about what's going to happen and things that are, because we know who holds the future. And we have faith in him. We have faith in God. Hope is never ill when faith is well. In addition to these virtues, according to verses 6 through 8, Paul reminded the Colossian church of the gospel message that was spreading. In these verses, Paul is pointing out the facts that the gospel came to them just as it has to everyone else. As if Paul is saying the gospel, guys, is still moving. It's still at work. And it is because of the gospel that their lives are being transformed by the glory of Christ. Then Paul goes on and he reminded them from whom they received the gospel truth. In other words, he's stressing his point that the Colossians' own experience with the gospel have helped them to live transformed lives for the glory of Christ. Christians should never look beyond the gospel for spiritual fulfillment. We, we have all that we will ever need in Christ. The gospel is the means by which the church bears fruit or multiplies as a result of the transforming power at work in the lives of every believer. What I'm trying to say, the church is the landmark. For an illustration, it's a landmark for those that are lost. The gospel message is the way to God. Someone described it in this way when they said years ago, a tornado destroyed a little church on the coast of England. The congregation was too poor to replace it. One day, a representative of the British Admiralty called on the local minister. The the official inquired if his people planned to rebuild. The pastor explained their situation, whereupon the caller said, if you do not rebuild the church, we will. That spire is on all of our charts and maps. It is the landmark by which the ships of the seven seas steer their courses. They was determined to have that church rebuilt. It wasn't for the sake of the gospel, but but this is the same kind of passion that we ought to have for our church. And we know that it's not a building, right? We are the church. But The church is more than a landmark for ships to stay on course. The church is the landmark for every lost soul, every believer. For there the gospel is preached and souls are saved. We are the landmark. We are the ones who's passing the word of God to the next generation. And we must remember that. Paul now turns his attention 
from the message to the messenger. And he names Epaphras. This brother is mentioned twice here in Colossians and also in Philemon. We don't know how much we don't know much about him, but we do know he was a native of Colossae and possibly converted by Paul in Ephesus. Ephesus is a probably 120 miles away from Colossae. And so um, people would come and pass through. And so it, it may have been through that way that this person heard Paul at one time and became a, a believer. But notice, notice how Paul valued this man, right? He thought it was worth mentioning him in the letter. Right? He, he called him a beloved fellow servant. Epaphras shared Christ with the Colossian Christians, and Epaphras was considered a fellow servant and faithful minister who served and ministered with Paul. Can others say that about us? That we are faithful to Christ? Do, do people say we are, we are faithful in our ministry, faithful to Christ, or do they know us by the sins we commit? Self-examination, self right? And finally, Paul recalls the Spirit's work within the believer. The Spirit is the person who's, calling, who's causing us to obey and do those things that pleases God. If you are here today and you want to know God for yourself, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For apart from him, you can do nothing. There's no success. There's no closeness to God. There's nothing that will give you satisfaction. Only Christ can save you. What I'm trying to say is that you're in a desperate moment and you don't even know it. Because if we leave and you die in the parking lot, if, if you're not right with God, your eternal destination is hell. It don't have to be. It don't have to be. God is not saying that you have to stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, and then you can come. The only requirement he's asking you of is to believe in his son and in the finished work that he has provided, and that Christ himself has come, lived, and provided the righteousness for you and I. Right? He's provided that righteousness for us, that which is needed to enter the kingdom of God. Christ done it for us. He is the mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. If you make him Lord, you can be saved from your sins. Believe in him, believe that he lived, he died, was buried, and rose again from the grave, and you'll have eternal life. That's what John 3.16 is all about. 
it's out of love that God wants you to come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The text goes on to say, for if you do not believe, you're condemned already. It's as if you're sentenced to die. But this kind of death is eternal. It's an eternal separation from God. It don't have to be that way. All you have to do is believe in his name, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. He'll do all the changing. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we pray for the one who is struggling with this idea of coming to you, to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray that you would work in their hearts, that they, by faith, may come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for this commendable church that we are able to learn from. And we just pray that you would help us to be a commendable church, a church that you would be proud of, a church that stands strong in the face of the enemy and the philosophies of this world. Help us, Lord, not to get entangled with this world devices, but help us to continue in faith and hope and in love. We ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.